the Psych and P podcast, where we talk all about the life and work of being a psychiatric nurse practitioner in various settings and types of practices. I'm your host, Matt Schroer, Rhymes with Flamethrower. On today's episode, we talk about working in an intensive outpatient and partial hospitalization program. Today's episode is in no way brought to you by the band Matchbox 20, but is brought to you by a bucket of dirty mop water. Welcome, it's so good to see you. You're one of my favorite people, and that's what's been so fun about this whole thing, is being able to sit down with just people that that I adore and really respect, and that's been the most fun part of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So, welcome to our podcast, and we are just talking about working in different settings and different environments and what that's been like, but... Also, one of my favorite parts is I get to learn more about people that I thought I knew a lot about them, but then I start asking questions and they start telling me things that I'm surprised by. So I know a little bit about your background, but tell me and tell us how you got into nursing, how you came to be a nurse practitioner and got into nursing and doing mental health. Yeah, great question. So I, I feel like a lot of students in the program majored in psychology and you were kind of like I like it I don't know what I'll do with it I'll just graduate and see what happens yeah so I did that and I had a professor who told me about McLean Hospital which is a psychiatric hospital in Boston and she said she worked inpatient and learned all about psych and then went back to school from there so I thought okay let's do that so I applied and, and worked for three years inpatient for schizophrenia and bipolar unit and what was your job there? I was a tech. Okay. So it was called a mental health specialist, but it was just a tech. So I, I was a mental health specialist at one point too. Yeah. It's such a great job. Yeah. I loved it. You make no money. So you're <laughs> like, okay, I got to figure out something else to do. But all you do is hang out with cool people all day. Was it your job to take down people as well? Yeah. Yeah. That was my job. I was one of yeah. three males who worked in the hospital. So anytime anyone was coding somewhere, yeah. it was like, can you send Matt over to adult mm-hmm. two to like take down this patient? Cause so it was like, Oh my gosh. And all Every the, all, time. yeah, all the things, all the things. Yeah. And since I'm six feet tall, I was classified <laughs> as one of the strong people. You were, so. you were one of the bruisers that yeah. had to show up. Yeah. And you're in really scary situations because people who are psychotic or delirious have superhuman strength. Yes. And it was such a learning curve. Yeah. But I loved it. There wasn't a day that I didn't get spit on or things thrown at me or called every name called you could every name. you I could come tell up with people I left there feeling like the queen of the world because someone was manic and saying all the nicest things in the world to me <laughs> or like the worst person ever because then you know you're restraining someone and it's a really scary thing for them and they're calling yeah. you awful names and throwing things at you but it really made me want to stay in the field and I think there's so much stigma in mental illness and it opened my eyes of like this is your third grade teacher this is your uncle Mm -hmm. this is your daughter it's not who they are they're sick and so it just really taught me a lot about compassion and filling a void for where there really needs to be help sure sure so going back to the feeling really good about yourself there was one time where I got called over there was this guy he would go on this crack binge like every few months and then would get admitted to the hospital they called over I show up to the room and as I'm walking out there's this nurse 
coming out of the room and he's got blood just dripping down his face and like this massive gash the nurse's face no on the nurse's face and i'm like oh my god what's happening and so like there's this dude flailing around and they're like grab a leg and so i run in and grab a leg and he stops moving once i grab his leg he looks up looks at my name tag and says you're in the bible that's okay and like then he just sat still and they juiced him up full of Haldol and whatever and he went night night for a while. They're always but, gonna call you. Now <laughs> so like, I was like and... I was like, Thank you, parents, yeah. for naming me one yeah. of the books of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those things were the best. I'll never forget there was this one guy, he was probably six five, manic, like the most mania I've ever seen in a person. And he the furniture on the unit was designed to be really, really heavy or really really light so that they couldn't pick it up or if they picked it up and threw it at you it didn't hurt or you could get out of the way and not get hurt he was on the side with really really heavy furniture and so he has this massive chair in his hands and we were like how was he picking this up and they called a code there were probably like 30 people in the hallway i ran i see him and he's like i'm gonna mess everyone up here and then he goes except for you i'm not gonna hurt that face and pointed at me and i was like Thank goodness. I'm not getting something chucked at me. Yeah, and then they all push me to go first. (laughs) Get in there and do something. I know you don't have to know how to give a shot, but here, just just put this somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Squirt it in his mouth or something. Yeah. So you did that for three years, Mm -hmm. and then you decided you wanted to do something else Mm -hmm. or more. Yeah. Okay. So I was living in Boston at the time, making $12 an hour. You can't survive in Boston on $12 an hour? You can't survive on $12 an hour. And I thought, okay, what can I do? I could go the med school route. I could go social work. I could go nursing. There were a few attendings at the hospital that I really admired. I thought that their leadership skills were fantastic. Their compassion was unmatched. And I was like, and I can make a living off this. And I thought, okay, NP is the way to go because I love the nursing model. I just think that looking at the person as a whole is really important rather than just the disease process Mm -hmm. and on top of that I really was liking the idea of less school which I think a lot of people do it's fair (laughs) and so I took all my prereqs specifically didn't apply to schools that needed chemistry as a prerequisite (laughs) (laughs) and um got into Vandy yeah so yeah you went the pre-specialty route with Mm -hmm. that like a lot of other folks did i'm skipping ahead a little bit but do you feel like that hindered you at all in entering practice only having kind of like tech experience rather than rn experience or anything like that do you feel like that hindered you at all that's a really good question and that was one of my biggest fears okay i thought when i worked as a tech i would hear five 250s like five of Haldol, two of Ativan, 50 of Benadryl all Mm -hmm. the time. And I, so I knew certain things, but a lot of people said you should never be an NP without working as a nurse. And I felt like I had less experience because of it. I do not think since being out of school for the past few years that it has impacted me as a nurse practitioner. I think the more experience you can get, the better in any way. Yeah. But the jobs are so different. I was so nervous that I was like, I'm not going to know what I'm doing. The jobs are so different as the attending or the provider on the team versus Mm -hmm. the nurse. Sure. So I don't think it's made me less of a nurse practitioner because of 
Yeah. I think a lot of students have similar concerns and not for those folks who have been nurses for a really long time. Obviously your experience really helps, Mm -hmm. but for those people who didn't have that experience doesn't necessarily preclude you from being able to practice at a high level once you're out. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's got to make things easier coming in as a nurse medication wise, you know, the pharmacology aspect, because so many of the meds I was learning about were so foreign to me and Mm -hmm. the nurses already had the upper hand of knowing the meds knowing normal dosing ranges and yeah and i think just knowing what to expect a little bit if you've worked as a nurse and you've worked in a psych hospital or or you've worked with patients who are really struggling with you know manic patients or psychotic patients or detoxing patients or any of those kinds of things like you've seen that and so it's not this new experience for the first time for you so any experience definitely helps but i think it's nice to to hear someone who didn't have this kind of formal nursing training prior to coming to the program and then entering into practice that you don't feel like that was a hindrance to you at all no yeah. I don't. I can see the benefit in it, and I think there was a lot of benefit in working as a tech. The role as a nurse practitioner is, at least I work in a team setting, and so they look to me to be the leader and answer a lot of questions. And I take pride in the fact that I kind of started at the bottom and worked my way up to yeah. a leadership role. Yeah. And I think it says a lot for the people I work with, too, where they're like, she's done the hard thing. She knows what we're going through in sure. the trenches. Yeah, and, and I think that's nice having peers almost that have seen you not just come in and like all of a sudden be this this leader and they know you and, and know that you've come up through them. Yeah, I think that definitely can help out a lot. So describe where you work, like what kind of setting it is in the environment that, that you work in. Yeah, so I work at a partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient program. Okay. So what that looks like, they're called PHP and IOP, if you hear me yes. saying those words. So they come Monday through Friday to our treatment center. Partial hospitalization, PHP, is from anywhere between six and seven hours a day, and intensive outpatient is three hours a day. Normally, when people come to this program setting they're either stepping down from inpatient or residential somewhere where they've lived or spent a period of time and they're needing something to help with the transition back to outpatient care or it's kind of like I kind of need residential but either there's a wait list or I don't want to move and go to a different state and have to live somewhere so we'll go to partial hospitalization for now I need treatment now I I can't wait yeah Yeah, absolutely And the setting is, it's an entire interdisciplinary team. So you have the med provider on the team. That's the role I play. There's adult and children programs, child programs. If you're on the child side, you have a family therapist and you have family therapy once a week. Okay. And then you also have a behavioral specialist, they're called, which is like your therapist all day long that kind of sits with you and walks you through things you're doing throughout the day. Okay. So they're there for either three hours or six or seven hours or something like that. So talk about what does your day look like and how frequently you interact with patients in your service? Yeah. So I see on average anywhere from seven to 11 patients a day. Okay. I front load my week personally. So I Mondays and Tuesdays usually see like 10 to 12 later in the week trickle down. 
because I'm in a partial hospitalization program, my patients are there all day, which I personally love. Yeah. I can walk down the hall and be like, Matt, how was your weekend? How was that concert you went to last night? But have formal sit downs and medication management appointments with my patients twice a week if they're in partial hospitalization okay. and once a week if they're in the intensive outpatient program. Okay. So do you think that patients going home and living at home, coming into you every single day is good, bad, both? Like, what do you think? I really enjoy it. And I love a lot of our patients start in the PHP and step down to IOP. Okay. And that is essential because when they're in PHP, it's their full-time job. If they're a kid, they're not in school. They're not in college. They're not working. They're Mm. with us all day. Yeah. And when we step them down to IOP, we can see them slowly start transitioning back into their life. So they'll go back to work a few hours a day or go to morning classes and... I think we're able to see the outside factors of their life impact them and we can work on them throughout the week. Yeah, yeah. So of course, if they're a safety risk or something, then they're not the you know right fit if they're going to go home every night. Sure. But in general, I like them going home, having stressors, have things pop up. Home environment is triggering for a lot of people. And then they come in and we can work directly on those things. Yeah. So one of the things about hospitalization that, that I always found interesting was you're out of this environment. So you you jump out of the, the toxic hell stew that is your home life. And you're like, oh, I'm home and there's structure and routine and there's people that I can talk to. And they're, but then you go back home and then it's just the same stuff that you were in before you left. And so I like that to be able to process and work through things every single day rather than seeing somebody every three months or and just getting this snapshot like you're an outpatient provider yeah. kind of thing. So how long are your sessions with your the patients that you see every day? So psychiatric evaluation. So the first time I meet the patient, anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour and a half, if I have the time. Okay. Working in the setting I work in, I'm in charge of my schedule, so it can be really flexible. If I'm doing an eval that I get stuck in for an hour and a half, then I just push a med management to the next day. And then medication management appointments, anywhere from... 15 to 35 minutes okay okay let's talk about kind of the main sort of diagnoses that you treat in your program so the specific programs that i work in i work with adults with ocd anxiety and depression okay there's always that outlier i feel like a lot of times there's autism spectrum disorder there is bipolar i have someone currently with schizophrenia fun fact 25 percent of people with schizophrenia have ocd hmm And then I work in the child and adolescent program with eating disorders. Okay. Do you prefer one? I really enjoy OCD because it's less scary than eating disorders. Sure. I feel like, which we'll talk about, exposures are fun. The treatment for OCD is is interesting to be a part of. Yeah. I enjoy eating disorders because I think that the child and adolescent, it's a crucial time to get involved in the treatment of the eating disorder. Yeah. And in general, like it's 15 year old girls and they don't want to be there, but then they're also kind of having fun while they're there. So yeah, yeah. It, it really depends. I like both. You were telling me earlier before, when you came over that there was someone who had to take dirty mop water and rub it yeah. in their hair. Um, so that's always, always a fun, fun yeah. thing of, of uh, eating disorder and exposure treatment is like, what sort of gross thing did you make people do today? Yeah, there is a patient I have right now who is afraid of vomiting. 
And so we're doing exposures all day around vomiting. So I walk into her little room today and she has this jar of fake vomit. She thinks it's real okay. fake vomit on her desk. And she's like, give me one second before you talk to me. She pulls up this brown paper bag, pulls it over the jar of vomit. She's like, sorry, I was in doing an exposure and I couldn't look at that while we talked. Or they like go into the bathroom and actually lean over the toilet like they're going to puke. Okay. Um, and then, like you said, the dirty mop water. I mean... <laughs> People are doing things like that all day. I had people eating Cheetos off toilet seats. It's a very interesting line of work. Yeah, I don't do that where I yeah. <laughs> where I work, which is really yeah. fascinating. But I think a really cool way to do things and obviously very much evidence-based and really important kind of work for people to process their OCD and, and get through it. But it's really cool that you all get to do that and with all the people and wraparound services that everybody's getting. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I don't know how much everyone has learned about exposure therapy, but the most evidence-based way to treat OCD is with two things. It's with ERP therapy, so mm. exposure therapy and medication management. Yeah. And so my patients that come, I like fill the medication role, but they're doing the exposures all day. So a lot of patients come into the clinic thinking they're going to be in group therapy all day and processing and when treating OCD we don't really care about that we don't care how this happened we just care that it's here and that we're going to do something about it sure and so all day they might have a chunk of three hours in their day where they allow for exposure time where during that time they're sticking their head in a bucket of dirty mop water or (laughs) holding a knife against a staff member's neck or giving someone a piece of paper with an intrusive thought written down. I got one today that said I could sexually assault children. And yeah. I have to go, I have to get it, I have to read it and go, yep, you could. And then walk <laughs> away. And so they're doing this all day and it's exhausting and tiring. Yeah. And you know, just facing their biggest fears all day. Yeah. If someone handed me that note at my work, I'd go immediately to <laughs> <Yeah>. HR <laughs> or the police or yeah. something like that. Yeah. But so it's, it's just absolutely fascinating. The things that we end up doing in our jobs that you could never, you never would imagine that you would do that. Yeah. You wanted to work with people with schizophrenia people with bipolar disorder. Like you were on the, the path to inpatient work. Yeah. And then this job came up. Do you regret that? Yeah, I know. Matt, as long as Matt has known me, my one true passion in life has been inpatient, the sickest of the sick, Mm -hmm. schizophrenia, bipolar, give it to me. Yeah. And then this job came up. It was the only job I applied to when I finished school. And it just kind of fell in my lap. I got it. I was nervous about the PHP level of care because I, I, what I loved about inpatient is as a new grad, I loved that I could change a med and if I was nervous and thought it was a bad idea, I could go see the patient again two minutes later and say, yeah. actually, let's not do that. Yeah. But PHP offers that. And I think that OCD and eating disorders are also both really severe and persistent mental illnesses. For you know, sure. Eating disorders are one of the most deadly mental illnesses and I don't think people realize the close tie between OCD and a delusional disorder yeah I like look for the trademark thing of a patient saying I know it sounds crazy but I still have to do it Mm -hmm. and so I think in general I'm the type of person that can morph and love whatever I'm doing yeah but I I truly do like this line of work more than I thought I would nice yeah nice so what makes a really good day at work no suicidality that's good yes (laughs) no medication adverse reactions okay and feeling like i got my notes done on time 
that's a good feeling when you get to go home at a reasonable mm-hmm. hour. That's done. Yeah. What's well, a bad day? Suicide alley. Yeah. That changes everything because since they are with us all day long i can't let them leave if someone's an active suicide threat yeah and so i'm lucky enough that my setting is the clinic is in a hospital but it's this whole process of someone needs to stay with the patient the entire time i have to decide if i'm gonna 6404 them or if i trust them to go down to the hospital on their own which for you out-of-state folks is the tennessee code for involuntary hospitalization yes 644 yeah which you can when i first started someone said only mds can do that but you can take a training and you're able to do it yourself yeah so look into that yes Um, if you want to sometimes if you have it then and no one else in the clinic has it then it's your responsibility to 6404 everybody and fill out the paperwork which can be kind of annoying sometimes annoying and then your name's on a legal document and if you go to court you're summoned even if it wasn't your patient yeah yeah so that's fun so just consider that yeah yes but that tends to throw me off um Mm -hmm. because then if i'm dealing with a safety issue it could take an hour or something and then i miss two patients and then i'm behind yeah that tends to be anytime i'm thrown off my schedule i'm a very schedule oriented person and then i feel like the rest of my week is all messed up that tends to make a bad day okay um and of course, the emotional aspect of when I see someone really suffering, yeah. I think that impacts me as a person and the people around the patient. Yeah. And so I find that that can impact my mood sometimes too, leading mm-hmm. to a worse day. So working with really challenging people and the level of OCD and the level of eating disorders that you treat are so severe and so debilitating. How do you leave that at work and how do you come home and just be normal and live your life and not bring patients home with you. That's hard. Yeah. Do you feel like you do that? Sometimes I do. And and when I first started, I definitely was, oh gosh, what did I do? I have to call this person first thing in the morning and tell them, remember exactly how, how I told you to take that, do the opposite. Like (laughs) I, I screwed up. I've always been able to kind of compartmentalize and not, and recognize where I can be helpful and where I have to just know that the patient has to do the rest of that work. I mean, obviously working with mostly kids and you hear just horrific, awful things that happen to kids. It doesn't get easier when you hear about someone who's been sexually assaulted or abused or neglected or all these terrible things. I think it just, and I don't know if I've gotten desensitized to it, but it doesn't impact me as much as it did before. And somebody could argue that, well, you're burnout and you don't you're not fully processing but I think that it's really kind of our job to take those things recognize that the human condition is sometimes really awful and complicated and here's what I can do to help that I think when I learned that I wasn't responsible 100% for fixing this person and undoing all of this nastiness that had happened to them before, that was really kind of transformative in not bringing everything home. I can show you how to get so far, but you've got to do the heavy lifting. I can tell you where to go, but I can't carry you. You have to walk there. So that was helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and that was one of the first things I thought of. I do a decent job of letting some things stay at work but because I am new to the field the abuse 
part is challenging. You hear, you file the report, you know, child protective services goes and then they end up in the same environment and you feel helpless because you did all the right things and you know, they're going to a dangerous environment Mm -hmm. still. And then another thought I have, one particular patient came to my mind who the program that I do, they say on average PHP are in for about eight weeks and IOP are in for four weeks. I've had a patient since September. Wow. And I feel defeated. It's, it's almost the end of April oh, yeah. now while we're recording. Yeah. yeah. It's been a really long time and I feel defeated because there are certain things that I've just seen work 95% of the time medication wise with OCD. Yeah. And I get, I felt like I gave her so much false hope of this is going to work. Let's add an atypical antipsychotic. You're going to gain weight. You're going to, you know have high cholesterol but it's going to be worth it because you're going to feel better i put her on these medications and she doesn't feel better and her ocd is just as bad and i feel like i offered all these false promises that i wasn't able to follow through with yeah yeah so that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes sorry for the terrible nursing metaphor but Mm -hmm. I, i think when we do say when we're trying to instill hope in someone and then it just doesn't pan out i think we feel I feel, I don't want to, you know, include you wrongly in that, but I feel frequently like, man, I screwed up. Like I did the wrong thing. I I should have done X or I should have done this. I should have referred this person out. I should have all these kind of should have things. But I think that sometimes the weight of the world sometimes is against us. And I say all the time, like you can get treated for a burn all you want, but if you're still sitting in a fire, like how much is it going to help? And I feel like sometimes people are just constantly sitting in fires mm-hmm. that we try and treat. And it is really frustrating when somebody's coming to you and saying, please help me. And you're trying and nothing's getting better. Yeah. Or they can't afford their prescription or they can't get to the pharmacy to pick up their prescription. Well, that's infuriating. That's infuriating. Yes. The, the not being able to afford medicine yeah. and like that's won't get political, but that's just absolutely infuriating. Like this person needs help. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that because this medicine is too expensive, you can't have it. Right. Like that's, yeah. yeah. And something that I was going to say before too, that I think of Matt all the time because one of the first things you told me when I finished school was you are going to wake up in sheer terror for like the first 18 months you do this job. You're going to be like, oh, wake up in the middle of the night. Did I, did I do the right thing? Like, did I prescribe the wrong amount? And And then one day it's just not going to be there. And I feel like it's so true because I'm at the spot now where anxiety isn't keeping me awake as much or I don't find myself going, wait, did I do that thing? It's so true. Yeah. So how long, so 18 months, you think that was, that was how long it took? Yeah. Yeah. I normally say about a year. So you probably started working a few months after you graduated. So I'm close. I'm close. I'm close with my, my 12 months. So I should probably say 12 to 18 months. 12 to 18. Okay. That's fair. I'll, I'll change my, (laughs) what I tell people from now on. That's what I tell people for OCD too. A lot of times people's questions are, am I going to have to be on meds forever? Mm -hmm. And we, where I work at least, we recommend 12 to 18 months and then see where you are. If you're not in a really stressful situation, Yeah. then consider going down. Yeah. My job is to work myself out of a job. I tell people that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because then you don't have to come back anymore. Yeah. And if I don't see you anymore, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, it could be you left and went somewhere else and are worse. But but I, I like to think optimistically yeah. that, you know, you're better and you don't need my services anymore, which is fantastic. How are the NPs viewed in your work environment? I know that that is a loaded question because I think a lot of times there's this comparison thing between NPs, PAs, MDs, DOs. I have been so lucky that I have never felt less than at my job. They have made it very clear. I remember when I started, I was the first NP on their unit. And so we do these huddles every day where they're, they ask, are there any escalations that we need to, you know, let other people in the company know about? And there was a section that said MDs. My first day, one of the MDs walks up to the whiteboard, erased it, and wrote providers. Wow. I have just always been welcomed. I have collaboration. Yeah. Once a week with my physician, collaborating physician, and she has never once made me feel less than questions are always welcomed yeah. everyone in the practice is just totally open and i think i've been really lucky in that setting because some of my peers i know haven't felt sure. as welcomed especially when you don't work as an rn first yeah that's interesting i i didn't necessarily experience a lot of that but i went to work in a community practice where the nurse practitioners like were the lifeblood of the organization that was definitely you're the worker bees and we're the, the as the physicians are the leaders and we'll tell you what to do that's really great that there was this instant you're an important integral member of this team and i i know you're supervising psychiatrist and i wouldn't expect any less from her yeah. which is really great and hopefully everyone can we can finally get to that point where it's like, we're all on the same team right. and we may have different training and, and different experiences, but like, we're all trying to do the same thing mm -hmm. and we're all trying to help people out. And so we don't have to yell at each other or belittle each other. Like nobody's taking food out of your baby's yeah. mouths, anything like that. And our caseload, I didn't know if it would differ versus the psychiatrist versus us. Are they expect us to see the same amount of patients as the psychiatrist? I didn't know if we'd do more. Yeah. Because like you said, sometimes we tend to be the worker bees. Yeah. But everything feels like a very even playing field. That's great. That yeah, that was definitely kind of my experience where I was seeing all the patients and the kind of physicians were doing just the majority of collaboration and supervision mm -hmm. and all the nurse practitioners were rowing the boat, so to speak. Yeah. And we were just kind of being whipped harder and harder and harder sometimes. So I'm really glad that's not been your experience. What do you wish you had known when you first started practice? My first thing that I'm thinking of, and I tell my students this all the time, shout out, hi students, <laughs> that, and everyone told me this, but it did not register. You don't have to know. I was like, what am I going to do? I don't even know the starting dose of sertraline. What do I do? You can look everything up in real time. You can say, give me five minutes. Let me check on this. And I remember Dr. Zamboki telling me that. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be like, give me one second. Let me go ask my neighbor what they think. Because she said she does that. You really, really can. Yeah. You don't have to make this snap judgment decision. You can change your mind if you feel like it's not fitting. And just make sure to document. Yeah. So that was really important for me as well. I felt like I have to know every single dose and I have to know every single side effect and I have to know ev absolutely everything. 
But you can look it up because most of the time you're staring at a computer that's connected to the internet, which has every bit of information you could ever want. I remember when I first started, I had Hippocrates pulled up. I would look up every single medicine and I had a, a chat window with my peers that I had graduated with. And we were constantly just going back and forth mm -hmm. like, OK, what does this person do for like I have insomnia? Like, what do we do for that? And it was it was just refreshing to know like, oh, I don't have to have this just absolute rote memorization of all of these types of things because it's always changing too. And there's always new medicines and there's always new treatments and there's always new ways of doing things that you just can't know everything. So I'm glad you said that because I, I do think a lot of students feel like I have to take every bit of this in. You really don't, you can't know everything, it's impossible. And you learn so much more when you're in the environment. It's all on your shoulders and you're like, well, I got to figure this out. And that's yeah. when everything would really stick with me. Sure. And the other thing is, you know, switching medications, I think, is a challenging piece. And there's really, you know, there's certain guidelines you follow. But in general, I just texted Matt the other day about lamigdal. <laughs> there's really not like this concrete evidence of, okay, certain meds there are but you have to reduce by this much or when you're switching from one to the other mm -hmm. and if i'm worried about something i just go lower and slower yeah and you you also said go next door find a friend mm -hmm. talk to people you do not practice in a vacuum mm -hmm. there are other people who have done things so find somebody that you can run things by somebody who's been there a little bit longer somebody who's you know seasoned somebody you trust like finding a mentor but finding somebody that you can run things by is so 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 important just to help you feel more confident mm -hmm. every single day and, and I think that's what good medicine is I would argue that that's what physicians do too mm -hmm. I was telling a story about my son the other day when he was little had to have multiple surgeries and the surgeon who did his several of his surgeries one morning came in and he was like I was up all night thinking about your son. And so I wanted to bring in my friend who's done this a lot. And so he could like assess the patient too. So like this really wise, learned physician who had, you know, went to awesome medical schools and had worked for a really long time, needed collaboration and needed to talk to someone. And so you're not a failure if you say, hold on a second, let me ask this, let me run this by someone. I pull out books all the time. I pull up stall and I'm like, hold on a second, I need to yeah. look something up real quick. And I've never had a patient be like, well, this person doesn't know what they're doing, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Like that's never happened, ever once. In fact, they're probably pretty happy that you're like, hold on, I just need to verify something mm -hmm. real quick. Um, that's what I thought would happen. Yeah. I remember you and Dr. Zambogi telling me all the time, that won't happen, that won't happen, and I'm like, but if I saw someone looking up, wouldn't you think they don't know anything? No one. Yeah. They appreciate the care. They're getting extra care that you're making sure you're doing the right thing. And thoughtful care. That, like, I'm really thinking about what's going on, and I'm not just completely dismissing you and be like, next. Yeah. Like, you're actually taking the time to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So don't ever, like, beat yourself up for looking at something, verifying something, or, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you said that. I think that's a really important thing for people to do. So we've talked a little bit about not taking things home and not that kind of stuff, but how do you practice self-care? How do you unwind and how do you take care of yourself? Yeah, my dog is huge in that. I have this strict routine of whenever I get home, I take my dog out for an hour, two hours, and I walk, I let her run around. 
I try to unplug, try not to bring at least my work phone. I think that's huge. Talking about it with not like specific patients or anything, but talking about, I had a stressful day. What? Any ideas? I talk to you about it. I talk to my friends about it. And then the little self-care things of getting a pedicure, watching a show, listening to a podcast are also important. Something that I found, I'm glad I just thought of this, really important from day one. I've been lucky enough to have, like you mentioned, you know her as well, the absolute best collaborating physician. From day one, she has told me the importance of work-life balance, and I think that's what keeps me loving my job this far into it. Not like I've been working it forever, but this But you've done it a while. Yeah. Yeah. And she has told me from day one, do not look at your phone on the weekend. Do not look at your phone after work hours. So in my mind, I have this very strict thing of I'm only looking at my phone at 8 a.m. And then technically my last program goes till 6. So I'll look at it until 6 o'clock. After that, I don't even think about it. I shut the volume off. It makes sure that I have time for my life and everything going on rather than having to worry about a patient. Because if I... My first week there, I remember looking at my emails once and it said side effect from medication from a patient's parent ruined my entire weekend. And I learned there on out there's a crisis line, there's 911, there's an emergency department. I don't always have to be the lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to disconnect is mm-hmm. huge, especially when in, in helping professions, because you can't be on all the time. And if you try to be, you're just going to roast. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's really important is just disconnecting. Mm-hmm. But you, you said another thing about having peers and having friends who you can, nobody gets you like the people who do this work. And sometimes you can just walk into the room and have a heavy sigh. And I got you. I get mm-hmm. this. I get what's going on. Let's talk about it. And the thing of ideas, maybe I'm burnt out because I have no idea what to do next with this patient. And yeah. Matt's like, I had a patient similar to that. Have you tried this? It opens up an entire world. Yeah. So So all just, yeah, find friends, rely on your friends. Like everyone in this program is as a potential like resource to Mm -hmm. you. So I think it's, yeah, that's super huge. Like just reach out. Like it's okay. You don't have to know everything and you're not a failure if you need to ask somebody Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. I love what you just said there of everyone in this program is a potential resource. It's so true. Yeah. I still have a group chat with three of my closest friends mm-hmm. from the Psych NP program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so do I. I still run things by people and we'll get together with people that I graduated with and we'll just go over cases. And I always feel my bucket is full after that because like these are people who get me these are people who understand what's going on and i can come home and i can talk to my wife about things but there's only so much that she's fully understands about the work that i do and so having those people who get you is really nice but disconnecting please disconnect don't take this stuff home with you all the time because you will not make it you will not survive mm-hmm. and i had a student ask me yesterday actually like why don't you do private practice and the first thing that came to my mind was because I can leave and I know that there's other people that are there at my clinic who if something comes up with one of my patients is absolutely capable of addressing that and handling that somebody's on call to be able to address that there are emergency services and I worry a little bit about being in private practice that 
you're never able to disconnect. It's always you or nothing. And I know a lot of people who do private practice and say, I don't do emergencies. I don't do after hours. I don't like you have to go to the emergency room to do that. And, and I'm always like, but can you really say that? Can you really, really trust that they're going to be like, no, I, I need you right now in this moment. And so that sort of worries me a little bit. So I, I like having the comfort of knowing that there's somebody, that there's a team of people. There's not always the same person that's having to cover for my patients, mm-hmm. but there's a team of people who are there that can help out if need be. And so I can disconnect. I can go on vacation and not have to think about my patients. And I can leave at the end of the day and say, okay, if something happens in the next 45 minutes, then the on-call person takes it and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. In my setting, I remember taking the NCLEX and them asking all the questions about delegation. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is so dumb. I'm a people pleaser. I'm going to do everything that's ever asked of me whenever that has been a really big learning curve for me of I don't need to do everything and there are people designed on the team to take care of it. Like you said, I know if something pops up, there's someone who's absolutely capable of handling it. And yeah. so delegating to people who can do that. Yeah, delegation's big. I, I mentioned in another podcast that my ability to, to say no has to get better sometimes mm-hmm. because yeah, it's like I can do that. Like I can totally do it. But is that the best thing you could do right now? Mm-hmm. Is that the best use of your time, your education, and your abilities? You, Of course you could do that, but is that better suited for someone else? And I love where I work right now because we have really phenomenal nurses who just get stuff done mm-hmm. and take care of those things. And oftentimes I don't even see a lot of the things that they get. I always check in with them, like at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. What do I need to do? Is there anything that you know, that, that I need to do for you. And then they'll go through the EMR and look in my provider bucket mm-hmm. and I'll see things. I'm like, well, when do they call? When do they call? And they're like, we're taking care of it. It's fine. It's just a PA. We've got it. Like I don't ever see those things. And so having resources and having staff support staff to be able to do a lot of those things really frees you up to do the thing that you're paid for and the thing that you're trained to do. So finding an environment that has support staff is like absolutely huge. I adore the nurses that I work with because they're so great Mm -hmm. and they know so much. much. Yes. You don't realize how much they're doing. Yeah. They work their tails off and I try to tell them that all the time. So take care of your nurses, be kind to your support staff and the front desk staff, be kind to them. It's the first like interface that you get when you walk in and just knowing that being kind to them. I appreciate the work that you do is phenomenal. And so, yeah, being in a supportive environment and having that support staff around you makes your job so much easier Mm -hmm. because you could do everything, but should you? No, you shouldn't. You might not like your job after a while. No, you get too tired. I remember working in, in a community setting and where I work now has a care coordination department, which is fantastic because I can just send a message to them. This person needs ABA therapy mm-hmm. and they just do it. They already have all the references and resources. to Yeah. And has all the insurance information. But before it's like, 
Okay. All right. What insurance do they have? Now I have to call mm-hmm. this place and I have to see if they have any openings. And it just was really challenging to do all the things because I knew that I couldn't be all things to all people and I couldn't provide every single service. I couldn't do ABA therapy with someone like I'm not trained in that. And I also don't have time to do it because I have other patients that I have to see. So having people that can do that is just absolutely amazing and makes your job so much better. So finding an environment that that has the resources to supply those to you is huge. And your life will be easier if you're nice to the people around you because then they will help you. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. I'm also going to take that idea you said of I just check in with them at the beginning and the end of the day. It takes five minutes. Mm -hmm. I need to start doing that. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. And it also shows that I I really care about the work that you're doing and how can I be helpful to you? Like you're not in this alone either. Like we're a team and and they're an extension of me and I love them. They're amazing. It's yeah. I I couldn't do what I do without them. And that's another thing about private practice that scares me. It's like, where's Leah going to be? I need (laughs) Leah. She has to come with me to help. And if she's not there, then how am I going to do all these things? Yeah, I know. I don't want to think about the PAs or yeah, I get a message once a day saying, you okay if I approve the 90 day supply instead of the 30 day? I don't want to have to worry about that. I just say why. Yep. They take Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. hundred percent. Sounds yeah. great. Insurance wants 90 days. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Dovetailing on the self-care thing, I tasked you with coming up with songs and a playlist that you wanted to, that make you think of your work or relaxing or that sort of thing. I'm not going to pretend to know any of the songs that you've picked because of your younger than me status. Well, but I stopped listening to music in like 2003, like new music. So, but hit me, I'll try. I'll listen to anything. Okay, so I, the prompt in my head was more, what are you into right now? What helps you with self-care? Okay, love it. But also, my immediate thought of this, when I worked at McLean, there were there was a very famous musician who was very vocal about loving McLean and having spent time there, okay. James Taylor. Okay. And so we would listen to James Taylor all the time, and he wrote one song about not having what was the name of the song not having metal spoons they all had to use plastic yeah sporks yeah plastic sporks in the cafeteria (laughs) because they weren't allowed metal i didn't know that that's really interesting yeah huh i know when i graduated from high school i i wanted to play this the, the music teacher i was pretty close with and so she wanted me to play the guitar and a couple people to sing and of course i wanted to play like some like broody Alice in Chains song and she was like I don't think we can do that because some of the lyrics are like I'm never coming home and that's a downer for graduation and so let's play this James Taylor song instead I'm like oh, James Taylor or whatever he's not cool but he's pretty cool yeah, yeah. I sound happy but what he's saying underneath is probably really yeah sad yeah all right love it what else you got oh this is a song you'll actually know I should have known that I was going to be obsessed with the world of psychiatry and all of that because when I was younger, I was so in love with the song Her Diamonds by Rob Thomas. Do you remember that song? Okay, so I have... No, I don't because I hated Three Doors. He's Three Doors... Is he Three Doors no. Down? What is he? He is part of a band. I forget which one. Yeah, the only song I know of like... 
Oh, it's the I wanna push you around. I like what's that was, was that him? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, that's totally him. So and he I can't. Must have done the solo. Album somebody's. After. Well, yeah, he did the solo album with okay. and and has the song with Santana. Oh yeah. That's the one. Like, ugh, I'm killing myself right now. Hold on, I have to know. I brought up. I'm an looking older it up. I have to know. I have to. You did. So at least you, you did. Talk about. Him. No, you did. Yes. No. I robbed. Yes, robbed yeah. Tom. But that was when I was like, he's not cool. Like yeah. he's not like rock star material. But I get it. So I loved him because there, that song talked about someone's journey with depression after she had been diagnosed with cancer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I can just feel the emotion in this song. I feel it. You ready for it? Yeah. Matchbox 20. Matchbox 20. Yep. Yes. Yep. I should have known. Yeah. 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 So three doors now is close. I knew it was a number. There was all, all those number bands back then. Yeah. The Seven Mary Three and Matchbox degrees. 20. 98 Degrees. <laughs> and yes, all those bands. Yeah. All right. What else are you going to hit me with? So ask the question again. Like what information are you seeking? What songs do you, when you think of mental health or think of work or think of relaxation, what kinds of songs or artists come to mind? Okay. I like all types of music. For me, for my relaxation and what fulfills me still is emotional music. For some reason, I give all my emotions all day. I feel completely empty at the end of the day, but what relaxes me and what makes me feel better is more emotional music. Okay. So Phoebe Bridgers. Okay. You gotta know. I know her. her emo- I know her music is really emotional. Okay, and I do know her. I do. know And her. I really enjoy that. And then for fun music lately, I've been into Remy Wolf. I don't know if anyone has. You definitely haven't. I don't heard know Remy Wolf. Of her. No. But she's been having like really uplifting light songs that okay. have improved my mood. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I'm gonna leave here and think of something. Yeah, and I and, and you can text me, and I'll put it I'll put it in your playlist <laughs> later on. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm glad you didn't say Jesse James Decker, but oh, well, I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke for everybody. <laughs> Allie, this has been so fun. I'm so glad that you did this, and I've said it so many times. People are gonna be sick of, of me saying this, but like I adore you, and I'm so happy that you did this, and I'm so happy that you're here in Nashville, and I know that you're providing such great care for people and and your patients are so lucky to have you and we're so lucky to have you in the field and I'm just so proud of you and everything that you've done and so it's it's really nice to see how successful you've been and just how poised and confident and just how amazing you are I knew you would be but it's nice to see all those things being fulfilled yeah trust the process people it really is you have to trust the process I left thinking I'm never gonna know what I'm doing but the feeling is so mutual. You have been my family away from home. You guys are all so lucky to work with Matt. I don't think you realize how lucky you are. That's very kind of you yeah. to say. You have such an important brain. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, this has been so fun. And now we're going to go eat Indian food together. So that's super exciting. Yay. Bye, everyone.